Hi everybody, it's David, and we're going to talk about prayer today. How does that sound? This is the Westchester Church Podcast. We continue in Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus speaks about when we pray. We speak about prayer as a Broadway performance, prayer as religious jargon, and a brand new way to pray that Jesus speaks about. Check us out today at westchestercfc.com. That's westchestercfc.com. And now let's get to it. That the greatest things in my life are the direct results of the power of God through prayer. And whether you know it or not, you yourself also could likewise say that the greatest things in your life are the direct results of so many prayers said either by, by you yourself or by so many other people who have prayed on your behalf. And yet with all of that being true though, why do we not pray as much or as often as we should? Is it because we don't really understand what prayer is all the time? I confess that even though I've been a Christian for 20 years now, there are times where, where I still don't understand what prayer is. Or maybe is it that sometimes we really don't believe in the power of God through prayer? Or is it that our lives as Americans are just so busy and so hectic and so rushed that we don't have time in our minds to even pray anymore? Is it that the very concept and the notion of us praying all by ourselves somewhere is very weird and it feels odd and it feels awkward? If a non-Christian friend of ours were to walk in, it would just look very bizarre to them, maybe, we think in our minds. And yet, regardless of the reason why specifically you and I may not be praying as, as often as we should, we know what Scripture says about how so often, as we read in the book of James, you do not have because you do not ask. Or as we sing so often, oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we are not carrying everything the song says, everything to God in prayer. I enjoy um, a woman who lived a long time ago who was a Dutch missionary, Corrie ten Boom. And I love how she speaks about prayer as she says that, that when a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians... How the demons like to smile at that. When he stops studying scripture, she says that the demons laugh. And yet when he stops praying though, those demons shout and they jump for joy. Because that is oftentimes the last straw in our spiritual survival. When we stop praying, when we no longer believe in the power of God through this thing called prayer. And now we come into the Sermon on the Mount once again, chapter 6 of Matthew, and we continue where we left off just one week ago. And in Matthew chapter 6, starting in, in verse number 5, here is what we hear Jesus say as it pertains to when we pray. Jesus says that when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then he says in verse 7, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And so do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask it of him. Now, as we saw just last week as it pertains to when we give to the poor, Jesus once again is assuming that his followers to, to be would be those who would regularly pray on a consistent basis. As we saw last week, Jesus does not say, if you pray, but rather what he says is, is that when you pray, this is how you are to do so. Jesus assumed that we would be praying. And so knowing this, he begins contrasting two very different individuals, two very contrasting different ways and styles of prayer that he speaks about. So I would like to begin with, with what I would refer to as prayer as a Broadway, as a performance on Broadway. And yet the word that Jesus refers to here is, is the word that he used last week as it pertains to giving to the poor. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now, it's a very tricky thing if you would have heard first century scribes and Pharisees pray in this way. And that's because at first it looks and it sounds so wonderful. As we hear Jesus say here, Jesus says that they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues. And that's a very good thing right there, isn't it? Jesus says that they love to stand up and to pray in the street corners. And I would love to, to live in a world now where we have people praying all over the place on the streets. I mean, that, that sounds like a good thing to me. But more succinctly, what Jesus says first about scribes and Pharisees and the way that they had prayed is that they love to pray. I mean, what is there not to love about these individuals who are praying? They love to pray. And yet we go back to that word hypocrite, though. And we remember exactly what a hypocrite is. Yes, it is very beautiful words coming out of their mouth. Yes, they are people who, who love to, to stand and to pray. And yet a hypocrite is not exactly what meets the eye. We saw last week that, that really all a hypocrite is is just an actor. Everything that we are enjoying on that stage is really just an illusion. It's not real life that is happening right before us. It's just an art form. It is just fine art that we are watching unfold before our eyes. I mean, that guy who's walking around in a Mickey Mouse suit at Disneyland, in the eyes of all of these three-year-olds, that is actually Mickey Mouse himself. And yet the guy wearing that Mickey Mouse suit is just three hours away from, from having that Mickey Mouse head reversed and smoking a cigarette on his lunch break. And that's because once that happens, he stops being Mickey Mouse and he goes back to being Stan, who he is in the real world. And that was, was what it was like for, for so many scribes and Pharisees as they prayed in this first century setting. What Jesus is revealing about them is that it is not in fact prayer that they love, 
nor the God who they are purporting to actually be communicating with who they love. But he says that they're only intent. And what they want to do more than anything else is to get a whole lot of this right here. They are praying in this very public, very elaborate way so that they can be applauded in the streets. So the people can, can look at them and spiritually sing, for he's a jolly good, good fellow everywhere that they happen to, to go. This was what the venture was then. And maybe in this modern day time, what Jesus is speaking about might look something like this. Where you go to a Broadway show and there is an actor who's on stage performing a soliloquy where he's in a darkened auditorium. And yet there is one single spotlight on him as he speaks to himself. So we might imagine a man who just walks up and very dramatically says, To be or not to be. To pray or not to pray. That is the question. Everybody gather around. All of you who would love to draw near to Jehovah God and listen to how a prayer is communicated to the Father of Lights. And now listen to me as I speak to God and as I pray, Oh dear, heavenly, majestic, Jehovah Yahweh El Shaddai, Dayspring. Oh, Jehovah Yahweh, Dayspring, Jireh. Lord, I am so grateful that I am walking this earth. For just last night, just in case if you forgot, oh, divine, majestic, Jehovah, Jireh, Yahweh, Dayspring, God, I was standing outside the mall just no more than 24 hours ago, and there was a single mother there with three children in tow. They were panhandling outside the door of the mall. And nobody, nay, not one single person would even acknowledge their presence. That is, except for I. Not only did I give them all of the money in my wallet, but I put them in my car drove them across the street to the Cheesecake Factory, bought them lunch. I even ordered every one of them an, a large slice of Oreo cheesecake, the one that's like $9.75. <laughs> Nobody acknowledged their existence. Well, except for me, except for myself, and except for I. And now, O oh God, Jehovah, Jireh, Dayspring, Yahweh, I pray that you can look down on this auditorium of people and that you can make them more like me. I pray that they can learn to stop being such sinful pagans and stop, start acting more the way that I live, O oh Father, Jireh, Jehovah, Yahweh, Dayspring, God. And now, O oh Father, I will now recite the entire book of Second Chronicles in Hebrew. I mean, that is, what, that is not a far cry of what it would have been like in that time. I mean, it, it is very expressive. It's very melodramatic, but Jesus is saying that's not real prayer. 
That is not the essence of what I am speaking about when I say pray unto your Father who's in heaven. But what we also need to notice in our text, though, is that it is not public prayer that Jesus is prohibiting here. It it is fine for a person to lead a prayer in public. Because we remember in in this first century time how three hours or at three different times every single day which would be at nine o'clock in the morning, at noon, as well as at three o'clock in the afternoon, you would stop everything that you were doing. You would walk away from whatever you were doing and just look up into the heavens in the direction of God's holy temple there in Jerusalem. And for however long it was, you would either hear a person who was praying or you yourself would then start, start crying out to the heavens in prayer. There is nothing wrong with with having a prayer to God three times in a day as a habit. There's nothing wrong with, with even leading a prayer on a street corner or in a synagogue, just as there is nothing wrong as we every week have prayers here in a public setting in our worship gatherings. But rather, what Jesus is expressing to us here is that there is something very wrong with taking something as beautiful and as holy as prayer and turning it into the David Creek show or into making a public spectacle out of it so that you can be be noticed. Wow, what a religious person he or she happens to be. It's when we take something that is very sacred only to make it all about me, myself, and I rather than that God who we are praying to. This is what Jesus is referring to. And, you know, this, this really was something that, that I had to learn early on in my life. Because I led my very first public prayers when, when I was maybe about eight or nine years old. And in those days, I mean, as it was in a lot of churches in those days, about 25 plus years ago, at my hometown church, we had more than 800 people there on Sunday morning. So I'm about eight or nine years old, and, and I step up to, to a live microphone in front of that many people. And you could just whisper and you could hear your, your voice bounce and reverberate off, off of all of those walls. Then you speak full volume and it just shakes and it rattles the, the ground. It's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Then you begin praying and realize, man, there's a lot of people here right now. And yet then as you pray, you can hear people all throughout the auditorium saying, amen, that's right, yes, Amen. And when I was very young, I got into a very bad, bad habit of I was looking at prayer as if it were speech to the audience. And I would write these, these long, eloquent, expressive poetry prayers. And I would actually go over them and rehearse them. And I would be very upset if, if I walked down afterwards and I only got maybe one or two amens the entire prayer. Thinking, man, that was at least a a nine or ten amen kind of prayer, but I just got one or two amens on that. And yet what I had to learn is that prayer in a public setting, it is not a speech to the audience. It is not even a sermon. It is just, just, just us speaking to the God who we love. And, I mean, every time that I read what Jesus says about prayer, it seems like I am hearing it for the very first time of just how far that I need to, to come in the way in which I pray. 
Jesus says that, that if you pray in this way, then you already have your reward. In fact, this is what you have right, right here when you pray in this way. Human recognition. It's human applause. And Jesus says, if that's what you want as you pray, then you already have your reward right now. You got 300 likes on Facebook because you, you had written a prayer. Well, congratulations. That is your reward and that's all you're going to get, Jesus is saying. And so there is prayer as a Broadway show and performance. And yet what, what Jesus also says is prayer as, as jargon. Now, what I mean by, by jargon is that we can go just about anywhere we can go into a hardware store, perhaps, or we can go into a craft shop. We can go to a sporting event or to a car garage. We can hear people speaking our own language. And yet the expressions that they're using, it's as if it is a foreign tongue because we don't understand a word that they're saying. And I think one of the worst places where this, this ever occurs happens to be in the religious realm where non-believers hear Christians speaking and even praying at times, but they, they can't understand a word that is coming out of our mouths because it's just nothing but mere jargon. Jesus says this is how Gentiles pray. Now, as we know, in this time, there had been a Jewish world, and then there was everybody else who was not Jewish was considered the Gentile world. And just as it was praying as a hypocrite or as an actor prayed. So it was in the Gentile prayer where, I mean, at first glance, it sounds so beautiful. I mean, it's just eloquent. And I mean, everything that is coming out of their, their, their mouth as they, they are praying, I mean, it's absolutely true things that they are saying. And yet Jesus is showing here that if you listen very closely, though, if you pray like this, you're not actually speaking or addressing your, your God. Rather, all that you're doing is just making a bunch of noise, using a bunch of very fancy religious phraseology, thinking that that is the only way that God is ever going to respond to my prayer. Somehow I've got to impress God in the way that I speak, and then perhaps he will be inclined to answer what I'm saying. What Jesus reveals about praying like this is that you may be saying all kinds of stuff, but you're just romanticizing the air. You're just loving what you're hearing because it is the sound of your very own voice is really what this is. Thinking that, that all prayer is is just a matter of, of, of using the right amount of religious phrases. And I find it so interesting what this phrase means. When Jesus says vain repetitions, what this means is when a person stutters. And of course, I am more acquainted with this than, than a lot of people are, having lived as a chronic stutterer until a couple of years ago, where I couldn't even have a conversation. But I mean, my mouth would, would always be open. And yet what was coming out? Just a bunch of stammered, stuttered syllables that, that just were not quite words. I was just making a bunch of noise as I tried to speak. Jesus says that is what it's like when you pray with, with all of these memorized formulas and repetitions. 
It also means somebody who's long-winded, or, or it means empty, repetitive nonsense. And this really is what Jesus has been combating all this time in the Sermon on the Mount. He is warning against repetitive, empty, religious nonsense, in this case, prayer. So Jesus says, do not pray like this, because Gentiles, we know, in this time at least, have been idol worshipers. And we remember a couple of occasions in Scripture where we see Gentiles praying. And the way that, that many Gentiles prayed was they, they had seen prayer as a way to, to really manipulate their, their gods into giving them what they wanted. We remember way back in the book of um, there in 1 Kings how we see Elijah standing there on Mount Carmel and all the prophets of Baal that says called on him from, from morning until noon, I mean all morning long. And they were voicing a prayer that exclusively said, Obey all, answer us. I mean, imagine spending all morning long praying that, that exact same repetitious phrase, Obey all, answer us. Obey all, answer us. We remember a little bit later on in the book of Acts as Paul is on a missionary journey. He comes into Ephesus and it says that, that as they recognize that, that he was a Jew, that a single outcry arose from them all as they had shouted for, for about two hours straight. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, two hours is a very long time. Imagine being in that crowd hearing one continuous repetitious prayer. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And yet, if we could look very closely at our prayer lives, would it not be true that, at least for a lot of us, myself included, we have been praying the exact same repetitious prayer for 20 years, for 40 years, for 50 years, where it's like, when we record a voicemail on an answering machine, everybody who is ever going to hear that recording is all going to hear the exact same thing every time. Hi, this is David. I'm sorry that I'm not at the phone right now, but if you leave your name and number, I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can. Hope you have a good day and God bless. And then it beeps. And yet I think that it is a pitfall for, for a lot of Christians that we just get into this route, um, a routine a praying and answering machine kind of prayer where for all of these years we are just saying the exact same thing without even realizing what we're saying it's like we're on autopilot god we're grateful for this day we're grateful for all that you've given to us please keep us safe please get the troops back home soon please bless this food that it might strengthen nourish our bodies please keep us safe i know that i already said that but please keep us safe and in jesus name amen and yet when we look at that, our intentions might be good, but, but I mean, is that really prayer? Is that consciously speaking to God and pouring out our heart to him as we communicate with him? See, the thing about answering machine prayers is that we, we might as well be saying Pledge of Allegiance or reciting how, we, how a person might, might get to our house when they ask for our directions. Jesus says, do not pray like this any longer. And it's interesting because what we notice in our text, if we look very closely though, oftentimes it is a misconception even, 
is that Jesus is not outlawing or even making any kind of a condemnation on praying long prayers. Jesus is not saying that that any time that that you pray, it's got to be one minute or less or it's not going to be heard. We remember Jesus spending the, the entire night in prayer once. We also have a great chapter in John chapter 17 as we have a very long prayer as Jesus prays there. There is nothing wrong with, with um, having a long prayer. But rather what Jesus is objecting to here is what he's saying is that there is something wrong with speaking to the living God as an idol worshiper speaks to a block of wood where he just repeats that exact same phrase in order to, to manipulate him into getting what he wants. As if God is too stupid to understand what we say over and over and over again. So Jesus is saying, do not go on autopilot as you pray. Do not be like that, that annoying kid on a road trip, kicking the back of his dad's seat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? He says, do not pray like this. And I'm very comforted by this, though. Because what Jesus is showing us here is that prayer is not as complicated as we oftentimes make it. Prayer is not some kind of this this obtuse algebraic equation where we have to crunch just, just enough numbers, break down enough scientific numbers and formulas in order to solve. But rather, what Jesus is revealing to us here is that when we pray, God is not expecting some elaborate 4th of July firework show of pious eloquence. But rather, all that he wants is for our hearts to beat for him as we pray. And you know, I've discovered this a lot of times as a minister too. How I've seen other ministers as well as I myself at times who, who, who can say so much and yet say absolutely nothing in the process as well. It's like you just quoted 99 verses, and that's wonderful. But what do those verses mean? How can I live those verses out in my everyday life? A lot of times a person can can say so much, whether in prayer or in a sermon, and yet say absolutely nothing in the process. And yet what we see lastly, though, is that Jesus is saying is that you don't have to pray in a Broadway sense anymore. You don't have to pray relying on trying to to impress God or impress others with religious jargon. And so what Jesus shows us is this transforming initiative, is this brand new way that we can speak to God. A way not like hypocrites or actors or, or as idol worshipers might have prayed back then. But rather, this is a way in which Jesus Christ himself prayed. And we see that the way that Jesus prays transcends a Broadway prayer as a performance. What Jesus says in our text is that when you pray, go inside your inner room. And I love this so much. And that's because almost everybody who he's speaking to on that mountain had an inner room inside their house. This inner room was perhaps the most important room inside their entire house because this was where you kept the most valuable commodities that you had owned. And yet it was also really the, the, the one and only private room that, that you really had a door on the outside to. 
And so the idea of what Jesus is trying to capture here is very obvious to us. What he is stressing is absolute aloneness with God, where there are absolutely no, no distractions or temptations that, that I've got to impress these people. And that's because now you are speaking to an audience of just one. And we all remember the way in which Jesus prayed, how it was read to us earlier on how in Mark's account, Mark writes that in the very early morning, while it was still dark outside, that Jesus got up and left his house and, or left the house and he went away to a secluded place and he was praying there. Or as we read in Luke's account, Luke chapter five, it says, but Jesus himself would oftentimes slip away to lonely places and pray. And so what we see in these examples is that it doesn't always necessarily have to be a closet in our house. And yet Jesus experienced that, that even out in nature, you can go far enough to where that, and even that can be a private chamber as you pray to God. And that's why I, I love our building so much or at the house where, where I live, because there are so many places where you can go. And you can find yourself praying in a private room that is within a private room that is within a private room in and of itself. And there is just something so unspeakably sacred about being alone with God wherever we might be, praying to an audience of one. I've discovered that you can even stand before 1,200 people and lead a prayer. But spiritually and mentally, you can... Go to a place in your mind where it feels like you are in a closet praying to just God, all by yourself. And I know that the American church wants so bad for, for um, schools to, to have prayer once again. And yet if we really stop and consider it, prayer is still in schools in 2019. Prayer is never, ever going to leave schools because... As long as there are Christians walking those, those school campuses, praying silently in their own hearts and in their own minds, prayer is still very much on that campus. Well, what Jesus really is not wanting is what, what a lot of us might be wanting, and that's very elaborate public prayers, which so often become meaningless repetitions. Yet it also transcends jargon. And again, I experienced this as a minister when, when I went to a halfway house and I was trained as a lot of ministers were to, when you preach, you have to act as if you were a president who was giving a state of the union address, just, just very formal and fancy, you know, and yet I get to a halfway house one morning and what they say to me is that we, we've had so many clergymen just give these big fancy speeches but we just want someone who will just come in here and just look us in the eye and just speak to us. Just, I mean, just speak to us. And that's really all, all that prayer is. I mean, if I call my dad every single day, only to have the, the exact same three-minute phone conversation. Hey, dad, how you doing? Good. Good, I'm good too. How are you doing? Good. That's good. Say, how's the weather out there? Good, good. Well, how's the weather out there? Go, good, good. You see the football game? Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was good. Okay, bye. I mean, when, when I, anytime that I call my dad, I mean, we, we just talk to each other, you know? 
Whatever's going on in our, our lives, we just speak to each other. And I know that there are a lot of you who have not spoken to your mother or to your father in years and years and years. Imagine how you would speak to your mother right now if you could actually pick up a phone and call her right now. Really, in a sense, this is how Jesus wants us to be when we pray to our Heavenly Father. Just speak to me. Just talk to me. Don't worry about using all of these, these, these fancy religious phrases. Just speak to me whatever is on your heart this morning. And it really was exemplified in a, in a parable Jesus spoke about two people praying. One was a Broadway performer. He jumped up on stage and he said, God, I'm so grateful that I'm not like other people. I'm so glad that I'm not a sinner like, like, like I'm a tax collector over here. And yet the other guy who is a tax collector, he is not a Broadway performer as he prayed. He, he doesn't even know how to use religious jargon if, even if he wanted to. That's because all that he can do, I mean, he can't even look up into the sky. He could just hang his head, beat his chest and say, God, if you're still looking upon me, have mercy on me because I am a sinner. Prayed his soul out. Said whatever happened to be on his mind. And it was not eloquent, but that was the prayer, Jesus says, that had that guy going home justified. The other, not so much. And the beautiful thing about prayer that I am especially falling in love with as of late is that sometimes you're just not going to have the words. Yet even that is okay as we pray. It's been said in, in the tradition of the Jews that as Moses hears God's name for the very first time, Y-H-W-H, that it was this unpronounceable name that could only be pronounced by human breath. And what I find so remarkable and so beautiful about this specific thing is that what this means is that whenever, or actually I would like to rewind, that that very name of God, Y-H-W-H, is at least said by the Jews to be in mimicry of a human being as they breathe. So what this means is that even when we don't have the words, every time that we inhale and exhale a breath, we are crying out to God. We enter the world and the very first thing anybody's going to ever say is the name of God, Yahweh. When we die, the very last thing we, we ever are going to say is, is God's name, Yah. And then way. Thousands of times a day, millions of times in our lives, we are crying out to God and we don't even know it so often. Maybe in closing what we need to do this week and what I would like to recommend for every one of us is just simply this. Make prayer a destination this week. Is that we don't look at prayer as a public thing that is to only happen inside this auditorium, as important as that is. But rather, what if we would be like those first century Jews? And we set aside three different times in our day, once in the morning perhaps, 
once in the midday, once in the evening perhaps, regardless of, of, of exactly the time, regardless of exactly how long the prayer is. That does not matter. Yet this week, if we could just get one really good heartfelt minute, three times a day, I, I'm thinking that our, our, our prayer lives are going to be revolutionized. Make prayer a destination also in that regardless of where we go in a secret way, maybe, maybe how that looks like in your life is to go literally inside a closet in your house and pray. Or maybe for a lot of others who are always on the job site, maybe how that looks is sitting in your car just before you go into work, spending even 30 seconds in really heartfelt secret prayer to God. As I've experienced recently, I every now and then go to a park and I just walk across a bridge. I don't say a word, but, but I am communicating with, with, with God in secret. Whether we are praying inside a closet or we're at the park, make prayer, make prayer a destination here tonight and tomorrow, every day this week as we speak to an audience of one. As we close, I'd like to go to God in prayer. I even ordered every one of them a large slice of Oreo cheesecake, the one that's like $9.75.